The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Um, so this morning, what I'd like to talk to you about is uh, contemplation of feeling. Now, uh, it can seem to be very dry. It's one of the four foundations of mindfulness. But what I'd like to do is engage you in how to use contemplation of feeling as a practice and how it can work in seeing what our reactivity is like and how it can work to set us free from that reactivity. So that's sort of the intention of what I have going this morning. We'll see how that goes. So the four foundations of mindfulness have to do with mindfulness of the body, which includes breath, the the posture of the body, whether you're sitting or standing or lying down or walking, moving through the air. So it's awareness of the body. That's number one. Number two is awareness, mindfulness of feeling. And this feeling is not emotion. It is pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. We're going to Obviously, we'll come back to that. That's today's topic. The third foundation of mindfulness is mindfulness of the mind, and that has to do with attitude. Where is the mind? What is the mind obsessed with? Or uh, What's the condition of the mind? And the fourth is mindfulness of dharma or phenomena, things like the five hindrances and the seven factors of awakening, uh, the four noble truths. So that's the fourth foundation of mindfulness. So What the Buddha said is, if you can adopt the four foundations of mindfulness, this is a direct path to purification and liberation. It's called the direct path of of purification. Basically, if you can be mindful in these ways of being mindful, that's it. Liberation is yours. Well, that's, that's quite, that's quite uh, an achievement, right? So, so every once in a while, I come back to the four foundations of mindfulness, and I look at them again, each one of them, to see, okay, how relevant is this now? What is this, where does this stand for me? And so right now, I'm looking at Vedana, which is a contemplation of feeling, In this case, we're talking about feeling tone. We're not talking about happy, sad. We're not talking about emotions. We're not even talking about liking and disliking. We're talking about pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. And we're talking about, these are kind of mental qualities. It's an awareness that we're talking about. It's about knowing this is pleasant, this is unpleasant, this is neutral. It's, it's really more intuitive. It's, you know, it's, it's a knowing. Oh, I know this is pleasant. Oh, this is pleasant. This is unpleasant. And what I discover when I look at it is I'm not always right. That is, I will notice something as unpleasant and not notice something right next to it that is present, that is happening in the same moment. And it has something to do with where I'm putting my attention. So the thing about mindfulness is there's always the awareness and there's the object of the awareness. Sometimes it's physical, sometimes it's mental, sometimes it's sense-based, but there is an object of that. So if I'm not looking at it, I don't see it, which is kind of what happens with this pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral foundation of mindfulness is we're not looking at it very often. So, So it's really simple. I'm just going to read you what the instruction is. When feeling a pleasant feeling, he knows, I feel a pleasant feeling. When feeling an unpleasant feeling, she knows, I feel an unpleasant feeling. When feeling a worldly pleasant feeling, sorry, I went here, he knows, I feel a worldly pleasant feeling. This is kind of sense-based. Okay, that's not much of an instruction. The feeling 
is the bare experience of that moment. So I'm going to give you an example. When I got in my car this morning and started down the hill, I, I was thinking, oh, I'm going to IMC, and I remembered a friend of mine who has recently died, and I had a moment of grief. And I, because this topic was on my mind, I said, ah, unpleasant. And then, I, and then I thought about it and said, well, what's really happening here? I had a moment of grief, and I felt, I asked myself, how do I know it's unpleasant? What in my body has told me it's unpleasant? And I noticed there was this kind of rising, this waterly rising in my body that sort of, that I associate with grief. It's like, like tears. I know how tears feel in my body. And then I thought, but you know, that rising, that water rising is actually pleasant. That the grief stimulates something in my body that wants to release the pressure, wants to soothe the grief. And, and when I really look at that feeling, that moment of feeling, it's pleasant. So there was the moment of grief, that sort of ah, stab. And then there was the subsequent feeling, the rising of the, the water, what I call the watery feeling, that was actually pleasant. The whole experience I would call unpleasant, you know, I miss this person. But within it were all these little pieces. So what I want to talk about is why that becomes important. Okay? So, you know, human existence is very much, very often about, if I like this, I want more of it. If I don't like this, I want less of it. That's pretty much what we do, Right? What we sometimes miss is how quickly the mind takes over and we move into the reactive mode from that initial feeling of pleasant or unpleasant. And we, we decide what it's about. Like, like my grief moment this morning. So I, if I had stayed with grief, unpleasant, oh yes, and, and began piling on why it's unpleasant, what else is unpleasant, I could have been very. I could have been in depression. I could. By the time I got to the bottom of the hill, I might have been in tears. And it isn't a measure of good or bad. It's just paying attention to what actually is true. That I don't have to suffer by allowing all my reactivity to tumble and to build into something bigger. So, um, so we're do, going to do a little exercise. So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and just be comfortable, just be relaxed. Well, notice, are you comfortable or uncomfortable? Just being told you're going to do an exercise, is this pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral? Try not to notice irritation or calm or before the word classification, just the bare experience, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. Now place your attention on my voice. Not the words, but the timbre, the pitch, the modulation. Is the experience pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral? What other sounds do you hear? Is the experience pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral? Put your attention on your left hand. Notice the texture of what it is touching. Is it pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral? Don't ask why, just notice. How about the tension in your hand? That same hand. Is there tension? Is it tight? Is it loose? Is it pleasant or unpleasant?
Now consider the word passion. And just consider how it sounds. Passion. There's that double S sound. Is that pleasant or unpleasant? It's that's why it's bouncing? Okay. Okay. Thank you. I see, I've got it tangled. Made even worse. Sorry, folks. Okay, so so now we're dealing with the word passion. And we're dealing with the SS. Now the word passion, hmm, what does that conjure in terms of a thought, passion? Pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral? How do you feel about passion? Okay, open your eyes. Now, tell me what you were thinking. Let's, do you have any observations about that? How hard was that? What did it feel like to try to do that? Was it pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral? <laughs> so I'd like to hear from you. Uh, the exercise was pleasant. Thinking about passion was pleasant. Uh-huh. A couple others I, now I've already forgotten okay. were not so pleasant. Were uh-huh. not pleasant. Uh-huh. Can you remember anything that was not so pleasant? Not right now. Okay. So, so anybody else? What did you notice? When you were making this sound it was a little jarring and I felt it was a little unpleasant hearing that rough sound mm-hmm. rough rough yeah, yeah. unpleasant mm-hmm. yeah and I, I think I reacted in, I mean I, I labeled passion as unpleasant because when I think sometimes of passion I think of people getting upset when they're passionate about something so I kind of related I think to a Unpleasant feeling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I also reacted, I sort of bristled at the S sound. Mm-hmm. Um, and initially, the word passion brought to mind the things in my life that I love, that I pour my heart and soul into. And then to have that thought. So I've got that thought over here, and then I have a sound within the context of the passion that's now driving me in a different direction. So I'm, I'm sort of being pulled. Mm-hmm. And that was an interesting experience for me. Yeah. Uh-huh. Anybody else over here? Um, I like the exercise. I really, uh, the word passion was so appropriate for me right now because um, I don't have any passion other than hiking. And essentially that's why I'm here now because I can't be where I really want to be. And all all of this blah, blah started all over again when you said passion. And so I got very caught up in uh, the, the net of, of reasons and feelings and unhappiness and blame and self-blame and pessimism just because you said the word passion. Isn't that interesting? Thank you very much for that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it was unpleasant, I'm taking. Yeah. Yeah. Any other comments on that? Well, we can, we'll have more. So, 
So what's interesting is to notice that there is a tendency with pleasant and unpleasant to move immediately to like and dislike, which is not really the same. We're we're conditioned to think that unpleasant means I don't like it. But trust me, it's just unpleasant. You actually don't have to go to like and dislike. That is something that's really extra. So and and so you notice you notice what gets added on to pleasant and unpleasant and how rapidly it changes. It changes really rapidly. So uh, I'm going to give you another uh, example. Right now, we're having our house painted. Now, there was a time in my life when I used to really uh, be proud of my ability to multitask. And the more things that were going on simultaneously, the more alive I felt. Pleasant was attached to no empty moments, <laughs> right? Think about that. That happens. Okay, so now... I have simplified my life a great deal from the days when I had to do everything in multitasking mode. And so now I'm having a lot of things having to come together around the, the painting. And the deal I made with my husband was, I know you've been running all these projects all summer trying to get things in condition and you haven't been able to take your boat out one time to go fishing. So you get to do that and I'll run this project. So there's an underlying of the promise that I made to him about freeing him up to do this. Okay, so the people with the scaffolding were two hours late, and I had to run off and do some. I had to prepare for this talk. I had to run off. I'm 45 minutes from the nearest Home Depot. <laughs> I had to go there. There, there, the carpenter who was supposed to be fixing the termite damage wasn't coming till this morning. <laughs> okay, so... And the painter was already there. <laughs> so I was, my belly was tight, so I'm noticing my belly is tight. And because of this topic, I'm thinking, oh, unpleasant, unpleasant. And then, just for that moment, I realized it was just unpleasant. That the tightness in my belly was unpleasant. but didn't have anything to do with me or my husband or the painter or the scaffolding. It was just unpleasant. And all of a sudden, it was no one's fault, not mine, not my husband's, not the scaffolder. There was nothing that had to be done about it. It was just unpleasant. I wasn't dying, for God's sake. It was just unpleasant. Now, what was interesting is I was reacting to stress. There was certainly stress there that I was calling unpleasant. But as soon as I was able to stop fixing the stress, just say, here is what it is. Just look at, this is what it is. It's unpleasant. There was a moment of freedom, just total freedom. And all of a sudden, there was nothing that had to be fixed. Now, in truth, you know, if I wrote it down, I might come up with something that I could have done right then. But there actually wasn't anything to be done anyway. And I was just reacting to the stress. And it was just unpleasant. Now, everything still was there. There still were the promises to my husband. There still the stuff was late. There still was the things I had to go do. But I felt like something had been lifted off my shoulders. And what had been lifting off my shoulders was the need to move forward from and do something about unpleasant. Just a moment of unpleasant's okay. It's just unpleasant. This happens in our lives a lot. And it's very, you know, right away I started in on, well, you know, I should, my husband's being unreasonable, or I should have made this happen before, or all, as soon as you move to that, 
You're throwing yourself into additional suffering. Additional suffering. And it was all extra. Extra. So I found a poem by Jane Hirschfield that expresses this moment. So I want to read it to you. Because the title of the poem is The Promise. The Promise. Mysteriously they entered those few moments. Mysteriously they left. As if the great dog of confusion guarding my heart, who is always sleepless, suddenly slept. It was not any awakening of the large, not so much as that, only a stepping back from the petty. I gazed at the range of blue mountains. I drank from the stream, tossed in a small stone from the bank. Whatever direction the fates of my life might travel, I trusted. Even the greedy direction, even the grieving, trusted. There was nothing left to be saved from, bliss nor danger. The dog's tail wagged a little in his dream. This is the dog of confusion guarding my heart, who was always sleepless. He suddenly slept. And that's what it felt like. It felt like there was this moment of, oh, (laughs) oh, it's just unpleasant. It's just unpleasant. It doesn't negate anything. It doesn't change this makes me happy, this makes me sad. You know, a lot, of, a lot of our conditioning is that if we feel pleasant, this means we're happy. No. Could be, could be. But you know, the Buddha said, I live in happiness, I am happy. And he didn't say you become happy by increasing your pleasant moments or decreasing your sad moments, your unpleasant moments. He didn't say you should get rid of feelings of unpleasantness or you should beware of moments of unpleasantness so that you don't become, you know, vain or proud or (laughs) as a method of purification. No, these are just moments, pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. So the trick is to catch that feeling before it becomes judging, comparing, fixing something to be fixed. Because that's that movement of craving. I want it to be different than it is. If I I have something that's pleasant, oh, I want it to stay pleasant. Yeah, I want it to stay pleasant, so I'm, I'm going to do things to make it be pleasant. Oh, that's unpleasant. I don't want that. I have to push that away. But it's possible to decondition that. And that's what the practice is about. Deconditioning that movement toward this is what I have to do. So the pleasant feeling is, is usually associated with enjoyment and desire and the unpleasant feelings with aversion. You know, uh, people who are tr- trying to sell us things to make us happy count on those things, on us making that connection of, oh, that's pleasant, I want that, or that's unpleasant, I'm going to get rid of it. So if I go on this week retreat, then I'm going to be over my anxiety. You know, and we set up this, this condition, this agreement. If I go do this retreat, then I'm going to feel better afterward, right? Well, I learned about that when I went on a one-month retreat and spent the whole, whole month uh, dealing with aversion. I have to tell you, it was extremely unpleasant. <laughs> An entire month dealing with aversion. And how about neutral? What's a neutral feeling? a neutral feeling. You know, uh, I've heard myself say there's no such thing as a neutral feeling. Actually, what I've said is it's very uncommon. (laughs) And I think it's because it's hard to rest in neutrality. 
you know. We get bored. Boredom sets in. Or confusion sets in. You know, where it's kind of, I can't decide whether this is pleasant or unpleasant. And confusion is unpleasant, usually. Not always. Sometimes. Sometimes it can be quite pleasant. (sighs) Depending on where your mind leaps afterward. (laughs) Okay? Sometimes there's a discomfort with uh, a lack of movement. And I would say that this certainly characterized my earlier life, that where things had to be running at 100 miles an hour, or they were unfamiliar to me, and unfamiliar is unpleasant. Or it can be pleasant. If I'm traveling somewhere, and I'm seeing all kinds of things I've never seen before, that can be quite pleasant. Or it can be so disorienting, I can, get, I can feel the disorientation. <laughs> That's unpleasant. But when the mind is totally at peace, that place of equanimity where everything seems in balance is actually quite neutral. We can think of equanimity as pleasant, but maybe it's just, just is. Christina Feldman says, if we can take away the aversion that overlays neutral, we discover that neutral is actually very close to peace and ease, a doorway to resting in the eventless. Does this mean we should look for neutral? I'm going to go through life. Everything has to be neutral. No, 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 no. It just means, notice it. Put your attention there so that you can come to know what it feels like. The first retreat I went on after, I don't know, three or four days, I remember sitting in, this, in, in meditation, and I had this totally unfamiliar sensation. This experience was totally unfamiliar. And I realized what I named it finally was calm. I had never been aware of that much calmness. And the first moment of its experience was unpleasant for me because it was unfamiliar. I didn't know what it was. felt wrong. <laughs> so the contemplation of feeling, which, which, by the way, can happen either in the moment, as in when I noticed that my belly was tight. Or it can, it can happen afterward when you're looking back, as in when I was thinking about the, the rising of the water in my body, the tears in my body. Thinking back on it, I could, look, I could see that that was actually pleasant, even though in the moment I wasn't aware of it. So the contemplation of feeling can take place looking back on something so that you can see it, the trick is to see it. One of, the, one of the virtues of meditation is that we still ourselves down enough that we can see things happening. They're not happening at such a rapid rate. And so we can see the movement of our minds. So, so what contemplation of feeling does is, is invite us to shift from just allowing the experiences to go one, 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 to actually seeing the, the tone of what's happening. And that the, the mental examination, it, it invites us toward a mental experience of whatever else is happening that isn't reactive. So that we can train ourselves to say, ah, pleasant, unpleasant. It's not, it's not a practice that we do all the time, It's not the same thing as mindfulness. It's another object of mindfulness, another thing that we can look at that will give us insight into how our minds move. It will give us insight into seeing things as they are instead of how we want them to be. It will give us freedom from the expectation of how things should be 
how things should be if I'm going to be happy. How things would be better if this was not true. Okay, so, so what we do is we take a moment and we notice pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. And it's a kind of distinguishing. It's not a choosing. It's not this is better than that. It's just a distinguishing one thing from the other so that we get, uh, we get the idea of what that is like. <clears throat> so the tendency to convert from pleasant or unpleasant immediately to the feelings about pleasant or unpleasant are very strong. And the ability to notice them, to find them, to get to, to say, oh, this is pleasant, this is unpleasant, kind of breaks that, that trip wire so that we eventually can get to the stage where we're not throwing ourselves into despair, where we're not leaping after the next wonderful thing that's going to make us happy as an automatic thing. So we, we are not choosing to not be happy. That's not what we're doing. We're simply noticing the actuality of the experience, positive, negative, or neutral. Oh, sorry I said that. Pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. Positive and negative are not the right words. Pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. See how easy it is? The recognition itself may be enough to break that habit of thought. The attachments to likes and dislikes can be reduced. The attachment. You don't have to stop liking what you like. Go ahead, like it. I think that's great. So um, I was with my brother yesterday, who was actually going to paint my house. <laughs> and he was, we were in a restaurant, and he said, oh, look, carrot juice. He said, I really hate carrot juice. And I said, why do you hate carrot juice? He says, well, the texture's all wrong. And I thought about that. You know, when you see an orange liquid, you think orange juice. And orange juice is sweet, and it's got a little tartness, and So you have your mouth, you you get this orange liquid, and your mouth is set for orange juice. And it's carrots. And the experience of that is quite unpleasant, because it doesn't meet your expectations. But if you're not waiting, if your mouth is not waiting for sweet orange juice, you might have a different reaction to carrots. (laughs) If you'd never had orange juice you might have a different reaction to carrot. It might be pleasant. So what's actually happening is the unpleasantness, what may be happening, is the unpleasantness is associated to the thwarting of the expectation and not the, the experience of drinking the carrot juice. And the key to that for me was that he said, oh, the texture is wrong. So, so the other way of looking at it is Carrot taste must have hardness associated with it, crunchiness associated with it. Can't be fluid. It doesn't have to be that he was expecting sweet. It's just that that he actually experienced carrot, but it was wrong. And and that what made it unpleasant was it's not what I expect. It's not the way it should be. So that's a place to, to practice, is when you're, when you're tasting something, is it pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral? And then look at it and decide what we were reacting to. Was it, was it the color? Maybe you don't like brown rice because rice is supposed to be white. Or maybe just look, just look. My husband has the idea that I hate cumin, which actually isn't true. What I don't like is a lot of cumin. (laughs) So I have to talk him into cooking with it, you know? It's interesting that whatever your expectation is, colors, whether you experience something as pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. So notice that and notice what's attached to it. The experience can be related to expectation. It can be related to judgment, the pleasant or unpleasant. You know, 
or it can be related to self. Maybe we have beliefs about ourselves. So let's take something. Let's say, say I believe about myself that I'm extroverted. Some days I appear to be extroverted. So if I'm feeling uh, uncomfortable in front of the group, what does that mean? It's unpleasant. Let's say I feel unpleasant. Well, it has to be your fault because actually I'm extroverted. <laughs> or, or suppose I see myself as a confident person and suddenly I'm feeling unconfident. Well, that can't be my fault because I'm this way. So one of the things that we notice when we're looking at pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral is how often we own something as a consequence of that pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. So we say, I'm happy. I'm happy. Well, as we all know, every moment changes. So when I'm unhappy, does that mean I'm not who I should be? Oh, that happens. I'm not who I should be because I'm actually a happy person. So this moment of unhappiness is something that has to be fixed because I'm happy. Oh, no, I'm sad. Oh, I'm really sad. Now I'm just getting sadder and sadder. This happens all the time, and I'm, I'm sad. And pretty soon we start embodying this sadness, and everything gets added to it. And we leap very quickly from this is unpleasant to despair. And it doesn't have to be there. If we can catch that, just noticing pleasant, this is just unpleasant. It isn't the end of the world. It's unpleasant. This moment is unpleasant. This pain is unpleasant. This is unpleasant. And we can see it just as that. And there's actually room for other things to come in. There's room for the growth of, of happiness. Because happiness is not the same thing as pleasant. Happiness has more to do with accepting things as they are and not feeling the need to change them, to make them different than they are. And we think, we think that if everything is pleasant, then that's how we're going to feel. So we set about making everything pleasant so that we're happy. But that's actually not the way it works. So it becomes especially important to kind of distinguish between the pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, and me. Notice how often it's I'm unhappy. I'm unpleasant. This is, when, if you can say this is unpleasant, this is pleasant, then it isn't tied to you. It isn't tied to me. There was a wonderful story that I heard from Kamala Masters about her teacher, Manindra. And she had taken him on a, a train trip. And she forgot, this was in India, and she forgot how the trains all ran late. And and so the train ran later and later and later, and there was no food, and it was really hot, and she felt really bad. <clears throat> she thought it was her fault. So she said to Manindra, she said, are you hot? And he said, heat is present, but I'm not hot. And then she said, but are you hungry? And he said, well, hunger is present, but I'm not hungry. And at first I thought, oh, this just sounds like a mind trick. But it isn't. I found, I, I heard the story probably, I don't know, 17, 18 years ago. And it still comes to mind when I hear myself grabbing onto something and saying, I'm really hungry. And I realized, no, hunger is here, but I don't have to own it. The same thing is true with pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. Don't own it. This is unpleasant. As, as soon as you can, can distinguish between the experience and the ownership of that experience, the sooner you come to see it as impersonal. And that attachment, 
that leads us off into the stories around whatever this experience is fall away. They just fall away. So we notice when we're doing this the ephemeral nature nature of everything. It it comes, it goes. Pleasant, unpleasant switches really fast. And generally we kind of homogenize our experience. You know, I'm sitting up here, this is generally pleasant. But not every moment of my sitting up here is pleasant. When this microphone falls off my ear, which I seem to still be having trouble with, I... Irritation is there, and I think, oh, that's unpleasant, that's unpleasant. But then it's just unpleasant. I don't have to stay with the irritation. We can become disenchanted with the emotions that come out of pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. And by that, I mean the real meaning of the word disenchantment, where we are no longer enchanted There's something about the habit, the mind habit, of moving to the emotion that is, you know, kind of comforting and feels really normal and very often leads to suffering. Very often leads to suffering. They're just feelings. They're not emotions. They're just feelings, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, of every experience. It's a factor of the experience, like hard or soft. It isn't, it isn't meaning. Pleasant and unpleasant are not about meaning. With, with Vedana, with the contemplation of feeling what you can get to is the direct experience in the moment, just what's happening, just what's happening. It's just this. It's just this. Sometimes great sadness can be very unpleasant. But it is just this. It is just unpleasant. Which isn't to minimize it, It's to distinguish it. It's to separate it from the running habit of our minds. Oh. Oh, this is pleasant. It also, what it does for us is make us much more attuned to those experiences that we have. We experience things more, I don't want to say intensely, but more clearly. I would much rather notice unpleasant than be oblivious to my life. I would, I would much rather notice this is pleasant than to miss noticing this is pleasant. It's about being awake in our lives, noticing what's happening. So the practice is not something that you do all the time. What I recommend is that you do it sometimes. Set aside a time and practice it. Just notice it. Maybe, maybe it's only five minutes once a week. But just notice, as, as over the course of that five minutes, how often pleasant, unpleasant, neutral arises. Just notice that quality in the, in the experience so that you develop the capacity to notice that quality. It isn't about spending all your time being mindful of Vedana because you're going to miss a lot of your life if you're doing that. <laughs> and it's hard to do that while you're driving down the freeway. <laughs> so it isn't, it isn't the same as mindfulness. It is a foundation of mindfulness to be able to notice the feeling tone of the moment. 
Sometimes it helps me to come out of a moment that is very confusing, where I'm not sure what's going on. Then I ask myself, is this pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral? And that kind of sorts through the confusion of the moment for me. I also know, I trust, that I don't have to do something about what I find. Sometimes when we're feeling very confused, we feel like we have to fix that. And so it gives me permission to just notice pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, something about it that doesn't require me to do something. And then sometimes I realize I don't have to do anything about this. And there's that ease that arises, those, those minutes that, that Jane mentioned in her poem. I'm going to read that one more time. If I can find it, lost it again. <clears throat> the promise, the promise. Mysteriously they entered those few minutes. Mysteriously they left. As if the great dog of confusion guarding my heart, who was always sleepless, suddenly slept. It was not any awakening of the large, not so much as that. Only a stepping back from the petty. I gazed at the range of blue mountains. I drank from the stream, tossed in a small stone from the bank. Whatever direction the fates of my life might travel, I trusted. Even the greedy direction, even the grieving, I trusted. There was nothing left to be saved from, bliss nor danger. The dog's tail wagged a little in his dream. So I wish you all some tail wagging. Thank you. Are there any comments, suggestions, questions? General observation? Yeah. So I found the ideas in your talk mostly pleasant, but the unpleasant one is uh, the the confusion that has arisen about owning uh-huh. feelings for the last I don't know thirty years of the human potential movement as it has touched me, uh, I was uh, urged to own my feelings. (laughs) And now you're urging me not to own them. Own this particular dynamic. You know, this is the feeling, this is the problem with words. (laughs) So, So I'm going to suggest that the human potential movement encourages you to acknowledge and accept your feelings to say these feelings are here that my experience includes these feelings and when I say you don't own those feelings I'm saying that those feelings are not you well because you changes all the time yes exactly this is a, this, this is a subterranean not self teaching Yes, <laughs> that's right, that's right, yeah, yeah. So, so when I say don't own your feelings, I don't, what I mean is don't reify that feeling as uh, the only possibility in the moment. Yeah. Thank you. Anything else? You know, um, this walking around noticing pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral can be uh, disorienting because we move so quickly to I like this, I don't like this. And so part of the practice is to notice when something that is unpleasant is not necessarily something to be changed. That we don't have to attach unpleasant to aversion. If I take, for example, my friend, the grief I felt over my friend, that 
is unpleasant, but also I'm glad I can feel that missing him. That's the part of owning your emotions that is relevant to the human potential movement. That 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 is a real feeling and I am grateful for that feeling even though it is an unpleasant feeling. The other thing to think about is that sometimes when an unpleasant feeling arises, we don't notice. We, we notice why you know something is unpleasant. You feel it in your body, like the tightening of my belly. And also notice what very often happens is accompanying that is something else that is mitigating that unpleasant experience that we miss because we're not looking for it. So that sometimes a feeling of sadness, if I feel a feeling of sadness, I can also feel my body going, there, there, it's okay. Which is very pleasant. And when we can feel both of those things, both the unpleasant and the pleasant, we become more aware of neutral, the place where it is all balanced. We become aware of balance, and it takes practice to see that. So happy tail wagging, everyone. Thank you, thank you. I enjoyed preparing this talk for you. (laughs) It was quite unpleasant at the time, (laughs) and very pleasant to spend it with you. (laughs) 